0: Now, if you spend any time on Twitter or uh, maybe you follow kind of pop culture uh, or you watch the NBA, you will know of Dwayne Wade, who is a basketball player. He was very famous. A couple of years ago, he got together with LeBron James and, and he still plays for the, the Miami Heat, but they went and won, a, I think, won two championships. I don't remember how many they won. But he's a, a very famous, very accomplished basketball player. Dwayne Wade recently made the headlines when his uh, 12-year-old son uh, announced that uh, he was going to be transitioning to become a female. And on Twitter, this thing, it blew up and it became really celebrated. And this was a, uh, I I took this from Dwayne's quote uh, of what he said in an interview about his uh, 12-year-old son coming out as transgender. He says this, Zaya has known for nine years, since she was three years old, it was a process for us to sit down with our daughter and to find out what she likes and who she is. Wade said, my daughter was my first interaction when it comes to having to deal with this conversation. Hopefully I'm dealing with it the right way. Inside her home, we see the smile on my daughter's face. We see the confidence that she's able to walk around and be herself. And that's when you know you're doing it right. We're just trying to figure out as much information as we can to make sure that if we give our child the best opportunity to be, you know, her best self. As I read this, and as I was following this on Twitter, it just again occurred to me that In our world, we have a massive confusion as to what gender is, as to what sexuality is. And as the church, we have a specific role to actually uh, hold the biblical worldview, to hold to God's design. And so when we hear something like this, oftentimes we'll be like, well, that's disgusting. And we'll we'll get really you know, there's God's way. We've got to do this. We've got to stick to the Bible. And, And while that's true, I think we also need to be sensitive to the fact that I'm not sure that a lot of Christians really know why we hold the positions that we hold. This is a huge issue that we find ourselves in with with gender fluidity, with a hookup culture, where we're in a hyper-sexualized culture, where anything goes at this point. And so for for Christians to hold a specific view, that's one thing. But we're entering into a time now where I think we need to really understand why we hold views which is why I'm so excited about the Apologetics Canada conference that's coming up when Andy mentioned Sam Alberry who's going to be coming and speaking on this. Uh, Apologetics, like they're looking at the next 10 years. What could the next issues be? And a lot of these issues that we're going to be in our culture are going to be around gender identity, gender fluidity, around transitioning and and how do we as Christians uh, deal with this? There's a famous historian. His name is William Manchester. and He wrote this. He said, the erasure of distinctions between the sexes is not only the most striking issue of our time, it may be the most profound issue our race has ever confronted. It's big words. But it, it is a, a huge issue, and, and like it or not, I mean, the church can try and run away from it as long as we can without ha- trying to deal with it. But when that issue comes, we're going to have to know where we stand. And so tonight, I want to begin... Uh, just looking, maybe even this is going to just only touch the surface of maybe some of the things that will be talked about at the Apologetics Conference. But the verse that we're going to be honing in on here is uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. It says this, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This passage tells us that we're to honor God with our bodies and that we are to flee sexual immorality. And and sexual immorality means a whole bunch of things. Okay, that means, you know, you name it, sexual morality that's we are, what we are to flee. So we're going to be looking at this, it'll kind of be like water skiing, because we're going to be hitting a bunch of issues really quickly, uh, but stay with me, and we'll, we'll close it off here. Uh, it might be a little bit longer, because I'm going to start off with a little bit of a history lesson, but the, what we need to do here is, I've got three points that I'm going to make through this passage. The purpose of our bodies, the mystery of our bodies, and honoring with our bodies. The purpose of our bodies, the mystery of our bodies, and the honoring with our bodies. So let's start with the first one, the purpose of our bodies. Uh, most of us recoil, especially if you've grown up in the church, when you hear anything about sex, you often will be like, you kind of get into a heightened alarmness, like, oh, sex is bad, is that bad? There's a lot of recoil that happens when we begin to talk about sex in the church. And uh, on, the, on the one spectrum, you have really conservative people who will not utter a thing. Sex is the worst thing in the world. Then you'll have the other side where people will say, sex is amazing. And uh, I'm on this side. Sex is amazing. All right? Dang. But it's <laughs> We have to do it within God's intended design. Now, we have, we have gone from this place of God's intended design to kind of what I just read there with Dwayne Wade and his daughter and, and, and his son as a child choosing what gender he's going to be. We've come a long way, but the reason we've come a long way is there have been ideas that have slowly developed over time, that ideas have consequences. So what I want to do is just give you a brief little history of how we got to this place where we are today. Most of you know the name Charles Darwin. Most of you sat through biology 10 and heard about Charles Darwin and the origin of the species and that everything has moved and everything has evolved over time and that human beings are just the natural process of natural selection. Your your atoms and your genes bent in such a way that you developed hands instead of fins and time goes on, eventually we become this dominant race that, that has developed cognitive ability. With this view that Darwin began to explore came the view of naturalism. Because what they said is, see, we don't need God to explain how everything came to be. Everything developed naturally. And so with naturalism, what we began to do is there's the enlightenment, people began to become really entrenched in the sciences, and there there began a reductionism. And what I mean by that is we began to look at Everything as if it was a mechanical machine, and so what we tend to do is we begin to break everything down to its most fine parts. So if I look at this stand here, if I was going to do a, a reduction of this stand, well, I'd say, well, this thing is. You'd ask me, what is this? It's wood, metal with a beautiful black coating, spray paint finish. But you could, you could, you know, if you, but if you, if you took it a little further, you say, well, it's just atoms. And and these particles and these molecules are arranged in such a way that they look like this. Nothing more. Everything that exists is just particles in motion. Human beings are just particles in motion, but you you are lucky enough to be in such a a motion that your particles are reacting in such a way that you are like a human machine. You, You actually move and you can think. You're a very complex machine, but you're nothing more than a machine. Nancy Piercy writes this really well. She says in her uh, great book, which, by the way, is probably one of the best books on the topic of sexuality. In her book, Love Thy Body, she writes this, if it is true that humans are just complex machines, just atoms, if that's it, operating by stimulus response mechanisms, the logical conclusion is that they are driven solely by pleasure... And pain. Their bodies are pleasure machines, and they may use their bodies in any way they want as long as it maximizes physical pleasure. So, if we are just complex machines, just molecules in motion, there are two outcomes to the molecules in motion, the particles in motion. Two outcomes one is pain, and one is pleasure. Pain, the, the, the worst form of pain um, would result in death. But the highest form of pleasure, that is the thing that we need to be searching for. That's the thing that you need to do. As a human, autonomous person, you need to pursue the highest form of pleasure, which has led to the exaltation of, and I'll, I'll say it, the exaltation of the orgasm. All right? And uh, that is what, you are trying to do. That's the highest form of pleasure available. So depending whichever way it takes for you to get that, our world is saying, you're a mechanism. Do what you have to do to get that. You get that. So there's another guy here, Wilhelm Reich. I have a photo of him there. You know, I like to imagine from time to time that if Andy grew out his hair, that's probably what he would look like, you know. (laughs) He's not actually bald. He fakes it because this this looks a lot like him. By the way, if Andy ever grows hair like that, just run away from Apologetics Canada, okay? (laughs) He writes this. Now, I'll give you a little context as we go here, but he says the reactionary, and he's he's basically saying the conservative person, the closed-minded person, the person who holds an old view of things, the reactionary of any kind condemns Sexual pleasure because it stimulates and repulses him at the same time. What's he saying? He's saying that the conservative, closed-minded person, they're in conflict about sexuality. On the one sense, they they love it, but also they know there's rules and moral obligations by which they have to live in. And so they're conflicted. They are conflicted. It stimulates and repulses him at the same time. He is unable to solve the conflict within him, uh, within and between the sexual demands and the moralistic inhibitions. Now, here's the other side. The revolutionary, which is, you know, you're liberal, you're free, you're progressive person, open-minded, they refute this type of perverse, unhealthy kind of pleasure because it's not his kind of pleasure, because it is not the sexuality of the future, but the sexuality which results from the conflict between instinct and morals. Sexuality of the authoritarian society, a debased, smutty, pathological sexuality. What's he saying? He's saying there's two choices and there's two types of people those who really like sex but are bound by religious uh, rules and guidelines, they don't, they don't follow, they, don't, they won't breach outside of that. And then there's those who are actually free and they say, This is what my body is meant to do. I have urges. And guess what? These urges are natural. And so I would be doing actually an unnatural thing not to live out and act on these urges. I would not be um, the the person that I need to be, the person I'm becoming. I would not self-actualize if I do not uh, pursue these urges. And so Reich would say... To be a human is actually to pursue those urges, to pursue that which gives you the highest form of pleasure. In his book, Civilization and His His Discontents, Sigmund Freud wrote that present-day civilization makes it clear that it will permit sexual relations only on the basis of a unique and indissoluble bond between a man and a woman. Only weaklings have acquiesced to such a gross invasion of their sexual freedom. What Freud is saying is that people who only have sex inside the confines of marriage have acquiesced and and have given in to the religious uh, framework. You you are closed-minded. You are on the low totem pole of what it means to be a human. You're weak. You know why you're weak? Because you're not taking grab of your freedom here. You have freedom. You should be pursuing these things. So this leads to all of this coming together, and there's a sexual revolution that begins. There's a sexual revolution of of moving towards this and attaining that which gives the highest amount of pleasure. Because what's the alternative? It's pain. It's being stuck. It's being trapped. It's being bound in shackles. And so our world has caught on to this. Do you see how the, the flow of ideas have gone, right? Without a God, without any morals, you're now free to do whatever you want. You're free to self-actualize in whatever way you would like. It's interesting, as, um, as you, if you analyze our culture, and one of the best ways to do this is by watching movies, you will see over and over again that the institution of marriage is being pretty much dragged through the dirt. So my wife and I, we uh, are newlyweds, Married November 1st, and one of the things we'll do, you know, we'll sit together and we'll watch a movie. And so we'll sit down, make some popcorn. We make a lot of nachos, all right, a lot of nachos. And we have our LaCroix, coconut LaCroix's, popping those. Uh, we watched a movie called Marriage Story. And it was a really crazy movie about a marriage that was falling apart. We watched two more movies after that, which were both about marriages falling apart. Each one of these films basically was saying one of the people wasn't happy inside the marriage. They were stuck in the shackles of of this sexual place that they're supposed to stay, and they wanted out. And they did whatever they could to self-actualize and become their own free uh, person. And it's interesting, as you pay attention to movies, how many times will you see this? If you think back on the movies you watched recently, or keep this in mind, you'll see that marriage is often seen as this, it's kind of like a thing for weaklings. Like, you you don't stay there because it's going to confine you and it's going to crush you, so get out. We were just watching uh, a clip from Bridesmaids, right? Do you know the scene where Kristen Wiig, that's a clothing woman on the wing, and <laughs> they're not telling us something. Uh, right before that, there's a really subtle scene where two of the bridesmaids are sitting together, and one of them says, you know, my, my husband and I, we just aren't uh, having sex anymore. We're just not doing that. And the other lady says to her, well, that's why you should have experimented a little bit in college. This was a time for you to figure out what you like, get that out of you, and then once you've you've done all that, enjoyed yourself, then you can actually settle down. It's a subtle message, but it's there. It's the most dominating one. It's the most dominating message that we often will see in our movies. I want to define my life for myself. My gender and sexual ethic and, and, and who I have sex with. That's, I'm going to define that for myself. And for you to tell me otherwise, for you to tell me what I should be doing about myself is the greatest evil that you can do on this planet. To, to inf- impose your thoughts or beliefs onto someone else's autonomy is the greatest sin that we can create uh, in our current modern day of age. This is where we're living right now. This is where we are. So what we see in 1 Corinthians is Paul's writing to a really similar place. The city of Corinth is a Roman city that the people of Corinth actually rebelled against Rome at one point. So the Romans destroyed the city. And then a few hundred years later, I think about 200 years later, they said, well, let's rebuild Corinth. Because it actually was quite a strategic place. It was a a great place for trading because it was on uh, two bodies of water connected it. So no matter what, you could have ideas flowing through there. You could have uh, lots of trade going through there. So Corinth became a really vibrant city. And it became a place that was enormously wealthy. And, and, And lots of new ideas kept coming through. One of the things that you would do Uh, is you would go and you'd sit in the amphitheater and you listen to the various traveling speakers. They didn't have concerts back then, so a traveling speaker would come and give a lecture on this new philosophical idea, and that was kind of, they were the rock stars, they were called sophists. They were the rock stars of that uh, that, that ancient era. One of the other things they had is they had uh, temples to Artemis. And one of the things that you would do is, in the temple worship, Well, you worship with your bodies. And how do you worship with your bodies? Well, the people in Corinth would go and that you would actually get together uh, and and have sex in these temples. And you would link together with prostitutes. There's people there, and if you want to worship, you pay, and you'd have sex, and that was worship. So that's the the sexualized place in Corinth. Paul writes this, and he begins uh, with a couple slogans. So 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 12, I have the right to do anything, you say, but then Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything, says Paul. You say food is for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Paul's using a rhetorical device here. He's basically quoting some of the major slogans of the day. And I was thinking, what are the major slogans of the day? Did a quick Google search? The 2019 slogans of North America. Here we go. Basic. Anything mainstream is basic. Pumpkin spice lattes, a tattoo of a Chinese character, and having dinner at the Cheesecake Factory could all be described as basic. Or uh, to contextualize it to uh, Abbotsford, Blundstones, (laughs) and going to Cactus Club with my girls! All right. Maybe you've heard this one. Uh, The goat. This person is the goat. What does that mean? The greatest... Of all time. Next time you hear somebody about hear, talk about Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady's the goat. Tom Brady's the goat. The goat. Extra. Over the top. People who drink Lacroix. <laughs> Gucci. I know some of you say Gucci. Gucci. <laughs> Here's one. Ratchet. Someone who's obnoxious, rude, trashy, or says Gucci. <laughs> How about this one? Bay. Where, you're saying, i got to find my bay. What is your bay? My before anyone else. It took me a long time to figure that one out, actually. There's a lot of people who would s- keep saying bay. They kept saying bay, 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 bay. I'm like, is that her name? Like, what do you talk? Who? Here's your Corinthian slogan, all right? The Corinthian slogan is this, I do what I want. Which, that's pretty, not a bad slogan, right? Someone say, hey, man, what are you doing? I do what I want. What are you going to do today, Napoleon? Whatever I want to do, gosh. <laughs> right? <laughs> Idiot. So Paul, Paul is saying here, he's quoting them, and he'll interact with them. With these slogans. I have the right to do anything, you say, but everything's not beneficial. What Paul is getting at here is, you, you say you have the right to do anything with your body. Great. But I'm telling you, the stuff you're doing with your body right now actually isn't healthy for your body. And more than that, the acts that you're doing by going to the temple, by participating in this sexual immorality, it's also not reflecting well on the church. It's not beneficial for the church, for the gospel witness that we're trying to have in this city. It's not beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Meaning that the people here are, are, are engaging in this, but are saying, look, I'm, it doesn't control me. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with me. This is not a control. Now, this is something that the idea of being mastered is um, to, when people talk about pornography. It begins, this is and something, a live discussion, men and women... It begins with, well, I'm not going to be mastered by it. I'm not going to be controlled by this. I can, I can handle it. But if you talk to those who are addicted to pornography and trying to get out, what, what are they? They are mastered by it. You think that, that, that you can uh, consume pornography and be okay with it, right? That it's that's your slave, and you actually realize that over time, that person has become a slave to it. That's the idea that Paul is getting at here. There's a third slogan that he gets at. He says, well, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. What are they saying? They're saying, I have urges. I need to actualize. I need to get this out of my system. I have these urges. And you know what? God's going to destroy us all in the end anyway, so what does it matter what I do on this earth? It's my body, Paul says. The body, however, is not meant... For sexual immorality before the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Here's his point the design determines the proper function, the design of your body determines the proper function. And by extension, the designer is the one who has the design. And so the designer is the one who determines the proper function. So, again, this stand here, uh, made by, is Josh Epp here? Josh Epp, uh, one of our young adults, he made this fantastic milkshake machine, right? But if I went to Josh and said, dude, your milkshake machine is the worst in the world. I mean, you're terrible, I mean, why would you make a milkshake machine like this? And what would he say? This is really simplistic, obviously. He'd say it's not designed to be a milkshake machine. Daniel, you idiot. This is a, a stand to put your Bible on. So the designer, actually, uh, by simplistic illustration, the designer is the one who determines what the function of that thing is. And what Paul is saying, he's saying your bodies have a design. And to live... Uh, in right relationship with God, to live rightly is actually to live into that design, not to seek to distort this thing and make it whatever design that you want. Y- yes, you can do that, but see how long that goes. That it, it might go well for you for a little bit. Maybe not. And see how that goes for you over time. Something only will flourish when it's used in the way that it was designed to be used. And Paul's saying, your body's to be designed to be, bear the story of God knows the language that he uses here. He uses the word. He says uh, the, the body's not meant for sexual immorality, right? Living outside the design. By the way, which is God's design? He'll get to this in a minute. But it's a man and a woman. It's not by living outside this design, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord. From the dead. Throughout the Bible, you'll see this theme of marriage, that a husband and a wife, that the husband and wife are joined together, they become one flesh. They are one person. And Christ says this is very significant to how you see the church. That, that oneness, that unity is what I've designed. So what you see in marriage, that design Also, that tight unity is what it should be with Christ in the church. That type of unity. And when you begin to break that design and live outside of that design, guess what happens? Unity begins to fall apart. You live outside the design of monogamous marriage, the the, the design will begin to fall apart. The marriage will break apart. You think you can walk with God outside that design, your walk with God will fall apart. This is what he's saying. Your design determines the proper function of how you live. Again, verse 17 says, But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. I would also insert in there, you're one with him in body. And this is what he's saying. You're both very physical and you're very spiritual. We are designed to be in union with God. So let's go on to the second point here. This is the mystery of our bodies. Okay? The mystery of our bodies. Paul continues. He says this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? He's referring to this, what was going on, right? In the temple. Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body, with with her in in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. What's that verse? That's taken from Genesis chapter 2. That's taken from the created order of things where Paul will say, he says, when the two become one, where Moses is writing this, this is a creation account. When two become one flesh, they become one physically They also become one spiritually. There's a union that happens there that's deeply mysterious. And my mom, as I was telling her what I was speaking on, she told me something that she had been saying for years. She said, Daniel, when you get married, she's like, she was talking about her husband, my dad's name's John. She said, John and I can have a conversation from across the room with just our eyes. She's like, we can be at a party and we can look at each other and we can communicate something back and forth. And she would always use this as an example of the fact that we are one in, in physical body, but we are one in spirit. We have a union, a connection here. That's the type of thing that Paul's saying here that it is one flesh, the two become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. This is the Genesis 2 design. And the point that Paul's getting at here is he's saying you are an embodied individual you're an embodied individual not just a body now this was something that the corinthians were trying to do is they're trying to say well we believe that humans are both physical and spiritual right we're not just physicalists we're not just natural we're not just naturalists we're not just atoms particles emotion. there's an element of spirituality but what the corinthians were trying to do is they're trying to say look when we go to the temple and, and, and participate in, in this sexual immorality, that's just our bodies that are doing that. But we're still good with God. We're good with God. I mean, spiritually we're good with God, right? What Paul's saying here is actually, are you? The two are linked. The two are one in spirit, one in body. Are, are you actually good with God? And just by application, what you do in the flesh has effect on what you do in your spirit, with the spirit. The two are, are, it's very mysterious because they're actually completely combined in that way. In Genesis 2, 24, this is the verse. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This design, man and woman, is the design that leads to flourishing. When we look at sexual immorality as the, the, as the whole, anything outside of that is against the design of God. And as Christians, we have to recognize this and understand that this is the design. Walking outside of that design will not lead somewhere good. Here's a third point. There's mystery to it, but here's the, the third one. Honoring God with our bodies. Verse 18. Now, growing up, we totally would take this verse and just joke about it, right? Because if you were anything like me, grade 12, you had your freedom of your car, and I had a part-time job, so I was making a little bit of money. So you know what we'd do? We'd go to Original Joe's, and we had these cards that they don't sell anymore, but had a two-for-one appetizer, right? And on the appetizer menu back in the day, back in 2012, they had, uh, it was chicken strips and fries, which, anytime you go to a, uh, like a restaurant, you know, you, your eyes do scan for that. And you're like, we're at the keg, but chicken strips, chicken strips, chicken strips. No, I, I will get the steak, right? But I want the chicken strips. You just want it. chicken strips. The, uh, <laughs> the urge. <laughs> we would go to original Joe's, and we would, in, like, indulge in these chicken strips. And people would say, you know, you bring some people along, they're like, uh, you know, you have your health, your health friend, right? Your healthy friend. No, 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 I will just eat the protein shake, which wasn't even on the menu. They're like, well, we don't have that. It was fun, I brought my own, <laughs> right? And so they start eating their protein shake in front of you. And they're like, my body's a temple, you know? And, and of course, we say back to them, so is mine. Buddha. It's a, you know, <laughs> that's a stupid joke. This is not what Paul's saying here. Paul is actually doing one of the most unique things that we see in the scriptures. And let me just lay this out for you, okay? Paul is saying, what is the temple? The temple is the place where people go do business with God. So whether it be the temple to Artemis, that's where they're going to worship the god Artemis. Throughout the ancient world, any place you're going to worship, that's a place of worship where you're doing business with God. The temple where you're worshiping Yahweh Right? That temple is where, that's the Holy of Holies. That's where you go to do business with God, in that temple. That is the most significant thing that you can do between this side of heaven, is meet with God in that temple. And what Paul's saying is this the temple's inside of you now. If you call yourself a Christian, that temple exists inside of you. So you think that you can separate your body and your soul? You think you can live two lives, live in sexual morality, and you can live a life of spirituality? Guess where God is? He's in your body. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. So by extension, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you call yourself a Christian, your body is a temple. Paul brings this, something that was so transcendent. So the Holy of Holies, he's saying, that exists in you. So the way you you actually live should impact that. The reverence you have for God should impact the way you live with your body. Because you can't uh, bifurcate, you can't separate the two. You can't separate the physical and the spiritual. His point is honoring God with your body means realizing that your body isn't yours. That your body, as much as you want to think it's yours, the Bible's going to come at you and say, your body isn't yours. It's been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The reason this is a verse that we want to delete is because we want to hold on to that. Because you know what that sounds like? That sounds like the shackles again. That sounds like we're going to be uh, shackled that we can't experience and, and go and find that which will give us the greatest sexual pleasure. We can't experience that. I want my body to be my own so that I can be in charge, so that I can do whatever I want. If I want to uh, spend time with God, I'll do that. But don't you dare tell me what I ought to do. Don't you dare tell me what, what things I should say or do or believe. Because the moment you begin to do that, you're inflicting on my autonomy. And as I said before, that is the greatest sin you can commit in our society. I don't want an owner over my life. I don't want these shackles. I get to choose for myself. Here's the beauty of Christianity. Christianity. Because right? you say, well, I don't want to follow, if Christ is the one who actually is, is in charge of my life, right? I don't want anyone in charge of my life. Here's the beauty of Christianity. At the heart of Christianity, he was someone who was shackled for us. The one who owns your body also gave up his body so that you could be with him. More than that, he voluntarily was shackled, and then he voluntarily was bound up and taken and, and and killed for you. He gave it up for you. He became broken, bore the weight of our sexual shame, so that we don't need to be broken and shameful anymore. See the garden. See, see the cross. See Christ bruised and bleeding, hanging on the cross for you. And while he's there, he's in spiritual unity with the Father. And then the father says to him, he says, Son, I have forever said that if you obey me, if my people obey me, I will be in unity with them. But for the first time in history, I'm going to leave you. Even though you have a baby, I will leave you. I will leave you spiritually. And you're going to hang on that cross alone. So that when they sin." They don't have to be left alone. The Father looked at them and said, I will cut you off spiritually so that they won't have to be. Christ did that for us. He gave up his perfect body for our imperfect bodies. We were all broken sexual sinners. All deserving to be not in relationship with God. Yet Christ does that for us. Here's my question. Why wouldn't you want to obey someone like that? See him on the cross. See him in the garden. He does that voluntarily. Why wouldn't you obey someone like that? He tenderly, lovingly gives his body for you and says, would you follow me? I know you're not perfect, but follow me. I will make you perfect. The application here is we have a choice, right? We can continue in our sexual immorality, or actually we can say, Lord, I follow you. I follow you. What does that look like? Maybe for some of us it means that you need to actually put boundaries up in your relationships. You guys talked about, you did the good Christian thing, you said we're going to put up boundaries and we're going to actually uh, go at this slow, but as things progress, they actually just sped up a bit you might have done some things that you're not too proud of. You might actually need to step up, take a step back and re-put those boundaries in your relationship so that you can honor God. For some of you, it might mean stepping away from Instagram for a while. Because you're just scrolling, 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 and, and it's just a time of lust. For some of you, it means you might need to actually choose your movies more carefully. For some of you, it means actually having a curfew. For some of you, it might mean actually having to break up with that person, to end that relationship that's leading you into a place of sexual immorality. I will not be mastered by it, yet you are. And for some of you, some of you have been living like this is your own body. You live like this is that I'm the one in charge, and you just give lip service to God, and you've never actually really trusted in God. Some of you tonight need to actually take that step and trust him and actually say, I'm not in control, you're in control. I'm not in charge, you're in charge. This is not my body, this is your body. Some of you need to uh, get right with God and tonight's that night. God is calling us to follow him in spirit and the body. And as we do that, We walk into the most beautiful design that the world has ever seen. And as we do that, we we declare Christ. We, We glorify God as we walk in that design. God's calling us to follow with our spirit and our body. Will you? Will you follow Him with your spirit and your body? Let me pray for us. Father, this evening I'm thankful for a word like this, for a text like this. And uh, Lord, it occurs to me that every single one of us have sexual brokenness. And and there's shame, and I know, Lord, I can can feel that in in this room. There's so much shame. It's something we don't want to talk about. But Lord, you took that shame, and you knew that shame, and you hung on that cross, bearing that shame, so that we don't have to. And so tonight, we come to you in repentance, and we come to you with thankfulness, knowing what you did for us. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. Thank you for the cross. And would you find us faithful, and find us as a community who love you with our bodies and with our minds. We ask this in your Son's name, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen.